Welcome to the Rose Garden. I'm Holly. And I'm Julia. And we're desperate for the rose. We are back with more desperate housewives. I hope you all love it as much as we do because I'm having way too much fun. I know, it's so fun. Episode two. I'm so excited. Episode two is the first episode that has a real title. And this is where we can really start to see that all the titles, almost all, are Sondheim song titles or lyrics from a Sondheim composer and lyricist for Broadway. Recently deceased, rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim. I named my first car after him, Steve. Rest in peace, Steve. Um, Wow, that's really sad. Um, Double sad. You lost the car and you lost the real guy. That's really double sad. Um, But Mark Cherry is quite... You can tell that this show is made by a middle-aged white gay man. Totally. I mean, very clear. it could not be made by any other archetype. No. Episode two is titled after Ah But Underneath, a song from Follies. So I think that really seals the deal there. Um, this song was written to replace the story of Lucy and Jesse, which does make an appearance later on in the series and is my preferred version of the song. But Ah, but underneath is similar in theme, and it's all about the different facades women put up to appease expectations put upon them by men, and how, you know, they always have a secret, and how that's kind of their power, too. And the song starts with the lyric, never judge a book by its cover, the thing that counts is what's inside. And it ends with, sometimes when the wrappings fall, there's nothing underneath at all. And I just, you know, some food for thought as we talk about this whole episode. There's a lot of um, beneath the surface references in this episode. Many beneath and drowning references and yes, just underneath and layers. I love, this might be my favorite like artistically done episode. For episodes in the very beginning, this one stands out to me. Like I remember a lot about it. Me too, me too. This episode starts with, I want to point out I don't know if you watched the previous Leons, but this one had no music. Yeah, I think actually this might be a reason why I remember this episode so vividly is because there's no music and it's like very seriously executed. Like everything that happens is like so intentional. And it's like one of those episodes of any show where you like, you really do have to pay attention to this one yes there's a lot there are a lot of little nuances and little moments that like give in to things to come but this is also a moment where it's very much clear it's in the early stages like you would never have seen and previously on without music over going do 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 right because it's And it's yeah, very not how absent it is. Totally. And it I can see bizarre. what exact part of the music should be there based on their editing in what's to come. Yes. So I was like, yes, oh, where is it? I know, where's the, the music? music doesn't come in until we get to the actual episode. Right. And that starts with Mary Alice, of course, narrating. And this episode, she starts by talking about senses and how once you die, the senses slowly vanish and you forget what they're like. Smell, you don't remember what it's like to smell, but your sight, that sharpens. And now she sees everything. So that kind of lays the groundwork for how the dead now suddenly see the whole world and can narrate it in this way. She's like an omniscient presence. She's like Mary. It's like a Mary, like jesus thing i don't know i feel there like- is a big theme with the name mary and yeah right in this series and mary alice right starts with mary um but i really this has a sequence has memorable lines of course everything that could be seen by the dead can also be seen by the living living if they only take the time to look so basically similar to the theme of the abad underneath song title Totally. And it's like, I love that it's such a play on like American life too. Not even just that these women are so ignorant to what is going on around them and intentionally ignorant. It's like, 
this world we're all living in with if we all really paid attention and chose to pay attention we would learn a lot more because everybody Um, has these secrets that are just beneath the surface but we're not looking at what's underneath we're just blinded by what we are presented totally yeah and Um, it jumps straight to gabby as an example of, you know, what's underneath. And it calls her, she calls her, Gabrielle was a drowning woman. And that's another start of the theme with submerging and particularly submerged underwater, which we see later. This this episode like kind of gives me chills. It's so good. It's very good. And Gabby is in the bath with John Roland. She's not drowning. She's not drowning. Only figuratively. Only figuratively, she's living her best life in the moment. Also alluding to like what's happening long-term for these women is not good, but if they can find a quick fix in the moment, then they suddenly are, they don't drown. Like Yeah, they're, it's their, essentially, it's their, it's like their vice. Their vice, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, alcohol is one of those, so. I mean, keep your eye out. <laughs> Uh, but oh, who's here, Carlos? Which brings us to one of my favorite little sequences of Gabby and John hearing Carlos come home while they're in the bathtub together and them scrambling to get John out of there before Carlos comes upstairs and he leaves behind his pants <laughs> and we get John Roland gardening, pruning with some large shears waving through the window at Carlos with a shirt on. You know, there's nothing grosser or worse to me than a man who has his dick out, but a shirt on. The Winnie the Pooh? Yes, it is so- the Winnie the Pooh look. It's not good. It is is such a bad look, especially if it's not like a t-shirt, if it's like a button down or something. (laughs) Just so Particularly bad. I mean- just barely covering his little butt cheeks yeah just being so vulnerable with his large shears yes um, around those shears his bush trimming shears which love the play on that too that he's like trimming a bush outside Mm -hmm. so funny i just cannot so (laughs) and the symbolism oh and here we get back again to what carlos could see couldn't hurt him because just below the window is his dick just below the surface Just below the surface we're back I love it so much and this Um, is the first like five minutes of this episode right and we're already getting so much symbolism it's fantastic uh so then all the ladies meet together at Lynette's place right they're at they're at Lynette's that sounds correct yeah because um, we learn later in the series that they usually meet for weekly poker. but <laughs> And dip, they, they switch who hosts. They switch who hosts, but they're usually at Lynette's place for poker. I always see, I feel like we see most of the scenes there. I f- it's frequently Lynette, but I definitely yeah. know we get Gabby sometimes. And it's, I feel right. like it often depends on what they're talking about too. When they're talking about men, they're usually at Gabby's with margaritas, you know? Yes, you're totally right. And this, um, they're talking serious business. So who's serious yeah. business? Lynette or Brie. But it's Lynette because Brie, we need to get, Brie's ho- home right now is a little, they need to slowly introduce yeah. her The Brie, you know, there's too much drama going inside the house. Mm-hmm. She can't host anyone at this time, even though it's her favorite thing. But the ladies are meeting because um, as we saw at the end of uh, the pilot episode, Somebody left Mary Alice a note. A very threatening, ominous note. I know what you did. I'm going to tell. It sickens me. I'm going to tell. It makes me sick. I'm going to tell. Right, right. So the ladies are discussing, should they tell Paul Young? Okay, what do you think? Not knowing very much about Paul Young, in our naive minds, what do we we think they should have done? No. (laughs) Just no. I would not have told. I'm already suspicious of Paul Young for he, it's his wife's home. They found it in his house. You asked me to come clean your home, her stuff out. I don't, I'm not buying. I'm all, who's the first suspect? A husband. 
Oh, true. Very good. So point. I would hold that close to my vest until it, I know for sure if Paula is a suspect or not, I would wait. Yeah. It's a good point. I'm just like trying to think of what you would do, especially like without later the ominous music cueing you <laughs> that. And also like later when, um, you know, Susan is talking to Paul and he's just like, so ridden with anger and like sadness over the situation, mostly anger, anger but it's like and anger towards Mary Alice specifically. He's right. mad that she would leave him and Zach behind. Right. I wouldn't be able to tell in that moment if it's better to keep the note a secret to myself or reveal that information. It's just so tricky, like being burdened with that responsibility. Oh, that's a big a burden. But yeah, if he was that volatile when I was talking to him, I wouldn't think it's a good time to add that to his plate either. Because if yeah. he's mad at her, he's just going to redirect that anger towards whoever wrote the note. And he's in a in a weird, vulnerable, like erratic state where he could do anything, you know, if he like gets that and I don't know, wants to seek vengeance, who knows? So yeah, I think that, you know, I, I think we can both agree that telling Paul Young at this time would not be best. So um, I do think it's really funny. Brie has a, a brilliant line where she says, it's the age old question how much do we really want to know about our neighbors? And this is after they've had some debate on, do we tell him, do we not? The funniest line was, was Brie thinking that they should tell him over coffee and pastries to keep it right. <laughs> and then Lynette goes, well, that'll be fun. We have proof your wife killed herself over a dark secret. Another bear claw? <laughs> I love the juxtaposition of that like serious line that's really a sound bite, a little little mic drop and then there's that also totally and we're getting a good idea of who Brie and Lynette truly are like moral wise you know where they where they fall in line and Brie is like clearly able to be more open and more receptive to talking about this with him but only if there's like good catering and (laughs) If everybody's happy with coffee. She's thinking of it as the event she needs to plan to set the stage for the right information to pass. And then Lynette is a little bit more like, okay, can we just reel this back in? Let's get to the point, you know, maybe, you know, think about what you're actually saying here. You can't just cover it up with nice catering. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. A realist, Um, if you will. Then we get Zach, uh, it kind of switches over to Zach looking at the whole dug up in the empty pool what the fuck there's a trunk that comes out of it because then we see this weird moment where where Paul Young is like taking a trunk into a dark garage space he's dragging the trunk to the garage space as Zach is like looking over the dug up hole in the middle of their empty pool how much do you want to know about your neighbors when these are their secrets and that's the whole you know, do we get involved in our neighbors' lives? This show really centers around that and community and that concept of suburbia You is very surface level interactions, but right. t- kind of turning that with these women actually cared about their friend and want to know. Right. But at what cost? And when do we need to just step back too? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Like it's at some point there is a benefit to keeping things on the surface. Um, I really like that they chose a trunk. I feel like trunks, like kids, toy chests or trunks are just like the weirdest concept in general. Like to have this like giant pirate treasure looking thing (laughs) that like you keep your toys in or whatever it is. I won one of those when I was little for like some raffle, like some school (laughs) raffle. And I remember bringing it home and thinking to myself how weird it was. Like, this is not what I want. I do not feel safe putting my stuffed animals in this. Like, something's going to happen to them. Yeah, your stuffed animals are going to suffocate. I had a, a, not a trunk, but like kind of a box, but that was with my dress-up clothes. So it was like clothes. It was a clothing trunk, which makes more sense, you know? But it was for like like kids trunks you're supposed to put like all your toys in there yeah like a toy box trunk weird it's very weird but I liked that choice um and we'll learn more later because it's very creepy looking right exactly 
Um, Susan. Uh, Susan, we're back to Susan pining after Mike as Julie is looking for the measuring cup that, oh yeah, that's right. We left the episode off with Edie's house being burnt down by Susan. <laughs> and she left the measuring cup. And so this is where it's clear that Julie does not know what her mother did because she no. has no idea about what happened to this measuring cup. And I think that's something to point out since usually they share everything. I know this might be one of their first big secrets between each other. Yeah. It, and so that's kind of something to think about. Like, okay, this is where her, at least she keeps her daughter out of arson. True. Not being but an accomplice about, to arson. You think about how often they cross boundaries, like how inappropriate that relationship is. So and, inappropriate. So often. <laughs> and it's just so funny that like, yeah, right now, Susan is just pining over Mike and so embarrassed about it all but like her daughter could never know at this time because no. that's the most embarrassing thing ever I burned her house down over Mike ridiculous I don't know how she could like bear that to be on her conscience no she really seems to be doing just fine the lack <laughs> of guilt over her burning Edie's house down for the most part at least in these early stages I don't on it genuinely don't remember if it ever gets to her later but <laughs> disturbing <laughs> you know how last week we talked about an MVP and like a WVP like our worst value <laughs> like our most invaluable player <laughs> yeah Susan has won it two weeks in a row because especially this week, this oh, episode, man. this week, Susan, we'll get to it. But like, Susan, you just, you need to just take a step back and evaluate your decisions. Take a step back. We're going to talk way more about Susan because my God, does she play a part this episode? I need a break from her. Carlos buys Gabby jewelry and asks for sex in return. Pretty blatantly. Like he did say. <laughs> really no, there's no hiding. And he it, essentially it was like, happen. all right, you gonna, you gonna hop, now? You're gonna hop on this dick since I yeah. bought you some jewelry. <laughs> and she's like, I don't feel like it. Can we talk? And Carlos makes a bad joke about how men don't buy jewelry wanting for in exchange for conversation. I hate Carlos so much. This is Carlos being oof, just the absolute worst. And then the audacity that he complains later that he's like, well, I can't fix the relationship if you won't tell me, if you won't talk to me about it. It's Bullshit. like she literally just Bullshit. said she wanted to talk to you and you said you didn't want that. He sucks. Awful. It was Awful like watching a conversation of The Bachelor within one sentence saying, I don't want to talk to you and getting mad at her for not opening up. Are you kidding? Poor Gabby. Gross. And this is why we can um, kind of let Gabby get away with the statutory rape happening with John. <laughs> because like her husband is so awful. He's the absolute worst. And yeah, so this is why when Gabby later goes over to John Rollins in her little black dress and leopard print scarf and sunglasses, oh, we <laughs> looking have hot a, as hell, but also not incognito. We not have a best dress. All, but that definitely is best dressed of this episode because she looked so good to go inside where there's a half-eaten sandwich on the bed. So bad. So bad. And they still um, bang. They still bang. I would like to foreshadow a little bit to later in the season that Brie could never handle this. We later, oh. later down the road, there's a burrito in the bed scene. There is a scene with a burrito. Not and even in the, the bed, bed, though, next to the bed. Near the bed. But it also just <sighs> thinking about, thinking about Brie and Gabby's situation, she could never. She could this, never. This is where they differ. This is where they differ. One of the many ways where they differ yeah gabby does surprise me in this though that she's okay with that she definitely starts and this is where we see her kind of start to feel the reality of what she's doing she sees a photo of him as a child with a baseball bat and she puts it down before right <laughs> again it. it's like it's like you if you open your eyes and see the truth that's she scarier. doesn't want to 
Right. So that's, that's the beneath the surface stuff. Um, what I find interesting here is also that transition between beforehand, they were just fucking in her beautiful house, you know, and now that she has to be secretive because Carlos is coming home more often, you know, she has to kind of lower her standards. And that means going and sleeping in this high school boys, tiny (laughs) twin bed. Can you imagine? (laughs) This is what's really horrific about getting older is I'm at the age where it would be me. I would be Gabby's age sleeping with a high schooler. Please don't ever, Holly. (laughs) I I know that. I know you aspire to be Gabby. I know you aspire to be Gabby, but this one we cannot. That's the one way in which I could never. Are you the sandwich in the bed? The photo of him as a kid? And then he picks a perfect red rose because it's perfect like her. And she realizes, shit, he's in love with me. And Susan notices this rose and questions why he would give it to her. So it kind of sets the tone for this can only stay secret for so long. Right. Especially because Gabby's not used to having to keep it a secret. When Susan asks about it, she just blatantly says, oh, John John gave me. John gave it to me he there's nothing and Susan's like wait what weird that's your gardener right and Susan the mother of a teenager also something to note good good um pointing that one out because I didn't even like make that connection and yeah we will see how things go with with Gabby and John yeah and Carlos later buys Gabby a new car to take her breath away and asks if it's the best gift she's ever gotten. And she avoids answering by toddler jumping him and kissing him, which I thought was funny. On the same network that brought you The Bachelor, that we get a lot of toddler jumps from Gabby, and I love that. Love it. Um, (laughs) Um, John, though. John John sees this happen. I I never really, like, noticed this, watching this the many times I have before. And, like, now that I'm, like, really analyzing the episodes... I realized poor John, like he has to watch the woman that he thinks he's in love with jump into her husband's arms. And like, he must be so confused because you don't know shit when you're like 16 years old. No. So to see somebody that you're like sleeping with, that is also confusing in itself because your hormones are like crazy and weird. And then watching her get a nice car like you know it's just weird it's just a weird situation I feel for John in this yeah I do. it's really shitty for John let's go back though to Susan back to Susan's chaos um she's taken out the trash in a bathrobe looking like shit and of course who's to walk by with Bongo Mike Delfino and Bongo barks at her <laughs> You know, Bongo was my MVP this episode for a couple reasons. One of them was the several barks. I love that choice so much. As soon as Bongo started barking at Susan, I was like, this, he's, Bongo's the MVP. I mean, he sees through her bullshit. He's like, this lady, she has never made a traditional welcome to the neighborhood dinner ever. This woman's sus. She's, she's lying. Shit. She's full of shit. Dogs and Bongo know. fucking knows it. Bongo knows. And he's going to protect his, his owner. Yeah. That's an incredible choice. And I'm honestly upset I didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah, Bongo continues. There's a couple reasons why he's MVP. And we'll, we'll get to it. For later. sure. So yeah, Susan blurts out inviting him for dinner and then tries to cover up for it because he's like, oh, you're asking me out and she's over? And she's like, oh, with Julie too. You know, it's a f- tradition, new neighbors. We make you dinner by getting you takeout. And he's like, well, how about I cook for you and you two come, uh, come over? I feel like Mike is a really good cook. Like I he would be. If, if Mike Delfino asked me to come over for like a barbecue or something, I would be, I would have high expectations. And we later learned that they make, he's making steaks. So yeah, right. that's a, some man cooking. <laughs> that is some man cooking right there. And uh, 
Bongo's not taking a liking to her com- coming over either. Cause he oh, because she's like, oh, I'm good. and she's trying to butter up Bongo and he sees through her bullshit. Bongo knows better. Bongo knows. So we get to cut to Edie rooting through her burnt up house with Martha looking for things to salvage. And this is where we start to see more of the relationship with Martha and Edie. Notice Martha's the only one helping Edie out right now. Their relationship is so weird and very funny to me. I love this scene. Um, Edie asks if it's okay, I think, for her to like stay over for a few more days. Oh, yeah. And then Martha's like, well, what kind of Christian woman would I be if I didn't let my neighbor stay over? I'm like, Martha, when have you ever been a Christian? (laughs) Only when it benefits her. She likes to bring it up for righteous reasons only. Totally. Um, Martha does find a blackened measuring cup and you know, ask Edie says, Oh, this isn't mine. And then well, first Martha she says she can salvage this, which I want to take a oh, moment yeah. actually to talk about the fact that Martha picks up this crusty ass black glass measuring cup. You it has can't so much see any of the measurements it. on it. No. You cannot salvage that. You would be poisoning yourself by using that to measure things going into your food. And Edie's like, that's not mine. Mine's plastic, which means it melted. Right. Bye-bye measuring cup. So sparks Martha's suspicion. Suddenly she's like, hmm, mystery measuring cup. What could this be? She's always looking for things. See, unlike everyone, she's always, she, on the other hand, is always looking under the surface where everybody else is avoiding underneath. Martha looks underneath. She wants to know what's underneath that surface. That's a very great point. Yeah. I wonder what would happen though, if the tables were turned and people were starting to, you know, question Martha, like, Mm -hmm. would she, she's so neurotic that I wonder how she would handle a situation like that. If anyone were to accuse her of anything or suspect her. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe. I I hope so. Um, We get to Brie and Rex. They are going to marriage counseling. We meet Dr. Goldfein, who thought he had seen it all until he met Brie, who brought him homemade potpourri. So funny. There's actually like a DSM-5 diagnosis for people who go to therapy and act like Brie does. And I can't remember what the diagnosis is, but like basically the one of the main checklists is like you avoid any conversations about yourself in therapy and overly compliment the therapist and like talk about like try to become friends with them basically. So very similar to how Brie approaches therapy. And I can't remember the name. I'll have to look it up. Maybe you have to because it's very funny because Brie spends most of the hour engaging in small talk. Yes, she does. Rex says that it's hard to tell if she even has feelings and starts ranting on and on about how cold she is and all this stuff. And all she can focus on is Dr. Goldfine's loose button that's dangling then he asks do you use housework as a way to disengage emotionally which I I have to say like I I'm like guilty of this who isn't like honestly when I emotionally there's like shit going on I will clean because then at least I can take care of one part of my life and manage it (laughs) that's a very brief trait (laughs) so like who gives a shit like okay you lucky son of a bitch your wife wants to clean instead of engaging with you emotionally now you have a clean house what is there to complain about what's the problem i hate rex rex and carlos are awful husbands so far terrible terrible now let's get to from awful husbands to wonderful mothers we have lynette's kids roughhousing in the car (laughs) and she gets pulled over, of course. And the cop says, do you know why I pulled you over? I have a theory. She's being nice. She's trying to be like, you know, cool. Like, you, I get it. Like, this is chaos. Right. I'm trying. She's trying to like get him to see that she wouldn't choose this. It's not her choice for them to be chaos demons. Right. And 
he has the audacity to say that, well, what you need to get them to buckle up and sit down or whatever. After all, isn't it your job? Ooh. Referring to being a mother as a job is something that's like comes up. Even her Natalie Klein conversation last episode was like best job I ever had. Something to think about with Lynette and jobs and work is always a big theme. Parenting is just another kind of on totally always a job for her. Totally. And she goes off on that cop, which she I love. List there's like this laundry list of things that she's had to put up Four with. Kids with her under kids. six, so the boys must be five, because otherwise she would have said under five. Then so she said like babysitter. She said something about how her babysitter had to turn to the witness relocation program. <laughs> Such a desperate housewives thing that happened that they never acknowledge or elaborate on because clearly it happened before the series started. So totally. It's but just like the funniest. This is the kind of shit that goes down on Wisteria Lane. None of this is out of the ordinary. No, not at all. And not like her kids are so fucking crazy and intense that she's gone through hell and back. Um, this is where we have my worst dress for, for the week, for the episode. I initially had put this on best dressed because I think it's kind of fashionable right now. And then I realized I still don't like it. It's still not a good look. I do not like the very oversized men's shirts with necklaces with like big, she's wearing these, yeah, the three pearl, like three tier pearl neck like the choker necklace with one of tom's like large dress shirts like striped dress shirts and i get that they're not trying to make her look good at all it's like a whole thing that she's the messy mom who's never put together and it, all she can even help herself do to make her feel pretty is to put on a pearl necklace i get it like she's not supposed to look great but it was so awful but like it looks so bad it, with that button down i'm with it you there looks- like, just don't wear the pearl necklace. She does it a lot. She does it a lot. And it's not good. It's, and I will say later, there's another scene with Rex and Brie and Dr. Goldfine where Brie is wearing like almost identical, the same look as Lynette. She has a striped blue and white striped button down, but it's fitted. Mm-hmm. And then a little pearl necklace. And it's so cute. Like it works. It's like, cause it's little fitted. It, yeah. Yeah. So I love it if it's done right. Lynette, you're just not, you're not pulling through on this one. Missed the mark. Missed the mark. Well, Edie catches Susan helping Mike bring in groceries and she prods until she hears that uh, the traditional welcome dinner that Susan normally hosts, that Mike is now hosting and weasels her way into an invite by talking about her burnt down house and how she needs to been eating takeout. But this is on Susan. She said it. Words came out of her mouth. <laughs> they did, although Mike gave her this very guilt. He didn't give her book. that book. I think this one actually was on Mike. He had no need to like loop. Even Edie does this, right? And like, even if you don't know her, you can already get a sense of who she, what she's like. That's fair. It was and- for him to act like at all that it wasn't overstepping and her prodding for an invite good point good point you're correct mike mike really i just like blaming susan for everything right but then yeah i mean susan could have at that point been like yeah i don't know i mean she was just obviously trying to win mike over so she would do anything she was trying to seem nice right right ultimately um i love the little line should we have told her we're having steak she's not a vegetarian or anything is she nope Edie is definitely a carnivore (laughs) She's a, a grade A whore. Yep. That's what she is. Amen. And Martha comes over to Lynette's to collect clothes for Edie, speaking of Edie, and also prods for details because she saw her getting pulled over by the cop. And she just leaves the little idea that her mother left when she was acting up would leave her on the side of the road and drive off and come right back, but it would scare them. And I think that's just a little interesting thing to learn about Martha. A little insight into that family. It is. It's like a little insight into like maybe her traumatic childhood. Like just weird parents. Very interesting. Very interesting. Something to know. Yeah. And 
she then goes over to Susan and says that we need, do you have any clothes for Edie? She has nothing to wear. I thought that's the look she was going for. (laughs) Oh, Susan, Edie may be trash, but she's still a human being. (laughs) One of my favorite Martha lines. So good. Like trash. Oh, she's still trash. Edie may be trash, but she's still a human being. And she later comes over to pick up the clothes and starts snooping around through the groceries while Julie's upstairs and sprays a perfume that, okay, Susan got perfume at the grocery store. Are you really spraying it? You really think you're getting, like, that's what you're going to steal a spray of? It is kind of an interesting thing where you see... Yeah, you see how comfortable Martha is just like walking and crossing over boundaries into anyone's house. Very brazen, just like Susan with her measuring cup in in Edie's house. Totally. (laughs) But like how, I mean, I'm just picturing myself in Julie's shoes. If I, if Julie had come down any earlier and seen her putting the perfume (laughs) on, like I would have been like, excuse me the fuck are you doing with my shit like why are you rummaging through all my stuff oh julie i was just admiring your new measuring cup (laughs) what a bad line what a bad excuse so bad she's just so creepy like martha and her invasiveness and her neuroticism would make me want to lock my doors more than anything oh for sure she's the one i'd be like oh my god lock your door she's coming over like get the fuck away you're like a creepy did we put the jewelry in the safe you're like a pest that like never leaves people alone that's the the vibe i get from her yes um so it martha does seem to make the connection that julie and susan had just bought a new measuring cup definitely she kind of walks away like i have everything i need i'm good like i don't need clothes for edie anymore i now know something Right. Like truly, is she trying to be Edie's friend right now or just trying to snoop? Exactly. And in that ominous kind of theme, we have Susan checking on Paul while he's taping up that giant trunk and loading it into the back of his van. And that's where we get him saying he'll never forgive Mary Alice for abandoning him and Zach. And he's just mad. And that's Susan definitely takes note of that. Totally. He does. I, that actor plays that scene really well. I noticed that like he did a good job conveying the anger, but then also like dismissing Susan. He is good. He's very good. He, he actually plays like a really great role in Mad Men. Oh yeah. Recently. And he, um, he plays a good character in that. So we do see him tossing the trunk into a lake in the dead of night which we might as well just talk about it now. At the end of the episode, the trunk pops up in the lake. Emerges from the surface of the water. How dumb do you have to be to just like assume that if you dump something in the water, that it's just, that's it. That's like, no, I don't need to worry about this anymore. To dig it up from your backyard pool underneath concrete and throw it in a lake or river, like that is a safer option. Is it's the weirdest thing the dumbest choice he's made <laughs> maybe ever yeah because it's like it's just strange like was he having I don't know Paul has these weird like impulsive moments he has good tactic a lot of the times but then there's random times where it's like he's I think he like bases his decisions off impulsivity and emotion and then it gets like kind of you're just like what's going on here like, what is your, what are you thinking is going to happen? Yeah. And this is, this is a particularly suspicious to me, like of all places. This is the most suspicious behavior he could possibly be performing right now. Yeah. Very, very strange. Um, we go back to Brie and counseling and she has shown up for counseling and Rex didn't make it, couldn't make it doctor business whatever sure okay um she says she's gonna leave but then she comes back and asks says well she says there is something you can do for me take off your coat (laughs) (laughs) such a good line and she 
starts sewing on his button and Dr. Goldfein says, I'm sure Freud wouldn't approve of this. And we get Brie, a little insight into Brie, who refers to Freud as a miserable human being, <laughs> which I love. And she really starts projecting onto Freud's mother and how he was so ungrateful for all the hard work she did in that time, you know, with no, you know, they had no technology to help. And he was just so ungrateful. Look what he went and did. Betrayal. So funny. And then I, I love that Dr. Goldfein like validates her by saying, just so you know, many of Freud's theories have actually been discredited. Good. <laughs> Which so I love. Good. And this Dr. Goldfein, my MVP, because also later Rex is yelling about, uh, that he's such a great husband and Bree is responsible for all their problems. And he's just whining. He's a little whiny little bitch. But Dr. Goldfein says, have you ever thanked your wife for what she does? Do you ever show gratitude or appreciation at all? Like any? So good. I love Dr. Goldfein in this. I love the switch that we see when Brie is talking about Freud and then Rex is, or not Rex, Dr. Goldfein is kind of looking at him, uh, looking at her like puzzled by who this person is and then starts to kind of see like a softness, like, oh. He's finally figuring her out. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because Rex intentionally wanted her to go one-on-one, hoping that it might prove even more why they shouldn't be together. And it actually did the opposite. Like, completely. Once Rex is gone and no longer can, like, steamroll her. Right. She finally has that power back. So Dr. Goldfein is actually my best dressed in several, he, he's best dressed in the several scenes we see him in, like, different days of therapy He's wearing a button down, a vest and a bow tie. And it just looks so polished, a very timeless look. Like he looks incredible, especially compared to the other men. Mike was actually going to be my worst dressed this episode. Um, Besides Lynette, he is wearing this like bad charcoal gray t-shirt with like an oversized, another oversized button down thing over the top of it that just doesn't look flattering at all. But anyway, Dr. Goldfein, compared to all of the men in this episode, he's just outshining all of them. We love you, Dr. Goldfein. MVP and best dressed all in one episode. Good for you. Good for you. Um, Jumping back to Lynette, um, she has decided to try Martha's technique. Kids are being out of control, so she decides to leave them on the side of the road and drive away says mommy's a genius to penny turn comes back and the kids gone (laughs) just gone can you imagine always like you could maybe deal with like a bratty girl that's like martha and her sister sure exactly sure right because they're these bratty girls lynette's boys no they're crazy they don't they have no fear they will go run into any house do anything no fear any stranger with cookies can lure them into her their home like what happens some woman comes out and says uh yeah i saw i saw you leave them saw you drive away and brings them inside lures them in with cookies says it seems to me that you have some anger management issues and won't get the kids back and Lynette's like, yeah, I fucking do have anger management issues. Like, she's not even denying that that's No, the she's problem. like, yes, I do. I have four kids under five. So crazy. Um, I would like to make a little connection to later on in Desperate Housewives, way down the road. The kids get lured again, even when they're older, by candy. That's true. So this is a common theme with them. No fear. It doesn't matter. It, and in a situation later, Lynette's using it as like a tool to see if they're going to get into a stranger's car and they fail the test. They Absolutely. get in the car. If there's candy, if there's cookies, everything's off the table. But this woman's mistake is laying her hands on Lynette because her kids have her back. It's so good. They, <laughs> they bite her. biting her and pushing her down. It's incredible. They shove her down. She goes, run boys. They all load up into the van. They, she tries to come chase them down, but they buckle up immediately. It worked. Plan worked. Flawless. It was perfect because she turned around before she started driving off to make sure that they were buckled up and, and they, they were already happy. were. It was perfect. It, it totally worked. Success. <laughs> 
rapid parenting a plus okay we're so back now to- we're finally at this uh-huh. dinner that we've been building up to all episodes susan comes over early to help mike set up and of course once again edie is there already in mike's house and Susan is your worst dressed this episode for this exact yes, Susan is wearing a knee-length green peasant skirt. It's like got a busy pattern. I couldn't even tell you what the pattern is, but then there's like beaded trim. And it is very of the time, but then it's paired with this like purple long sleeve shirt that I just really don't like. And then she has this oh. orange bag that looks just all the colors look bad together. She's got these dangly beaded earrings and a necklace. And it and just, she looks green shoes. She looks like a matronly. It's like very matronly. It's not sexy. No, it's very strange. I don't know what the goal was there. And maybe she was trying to like one up Edie because Edie is such a little slut that she'll just wear like half a little shorts and tank top, but she looks so much cuter. Right. Exactly. So I don't know, Susan, that was a strange it one. It was a weird choice. Um, at dinner Edie's talking about how good Susan was with Carl and how she's certain they'll get back together and Julie almost got my MVP once again two episodes in a row she's runner up and uh Julie comes in clutch and starts asking Edie about her former husbands and the men she was tattooed man she was singing seeing and Susan picks up on what's happening here and goes oh that wasn't her husband that was one of Edie's special friends (laughs) Poor Mike is just like, what the fuck is going on? Just caught in the middle. And so bad. Bongo is just loving Edie. And Susan's so jealous of this and decides to rub some gravy behind her damn ear. Ew. We all can see this is a recipe for disaster. Because first of all, that's disgusting. Right, like you're putting gravy on your ear and your earring. And now Bongo goes, licks up the gravy, chokes on the earring, obviously, and runs off, takes the dog to the hospital. Edie's like, oh, don't worry, I'll clean everything up. I've got it. And he thanks her. Susan's like, need help? And he's like, no, you've done don't enough. Need your goddamn help. This is where Bongo, you know, it really sealed the deal for me that he was MVP this episode. Poor guy. I mean, he swallowed he the earring. He went through a lot and he was right about Susan. He should have never trusted the gravy. You know, no. if he, you know, he could Don't have by my love nation. And Susan ignores his request and meets Mike at the pet hospital with the bone to give. And the bone is just massive. <laughs> Where did she pull that Literally, from? I had to literally like pause because I was laughing so hard at her weird it's they're very in style now too which I really don't understand but these clutch purses that are like not very flexible they're like these hard this boxy boxy square thing boxy square thing they're they're very like 1960s and the Um, bone would never have fit the bone was literally like triple the size of the purse so I'm trying to think like what even is in her goddamn purse anything at all or is it just the bone it's just the bone (laughs) the wallet the wallet couldn't even fit in that purse because That's the bone true. was like so one big. Of those really thin ones, you know. It was weird, but was fortunately, strange. Bongo doesn't need surgery. He just needs to pass the earring, which shockingly Susan doesn't want back. See, you can tell Susan doesn't know a lot about dogs. If a dog is like choked on something and you're gonna bring it a bone, like why not bring it a toy <laughs> or something like a like a bone, really? Where it's like, clearly you've already done enough damage. Terrible choice. And this is where we really start to learn. Mike apologizes for freaking out. He's like, I was really worried because it's my wife's dog. And she asked me to look after him on her deathbed. So yes, that's where we kind of learned about his wife. And Susan suddenly saw that he's still in love with his dead wife. And neither of them will be dating him anytime soon. Let's so she's all open. happy again because she's like, well, if I can't have him, Edie can't have him either. No, no one can. Right. Another moment of just, it is. And this is where we leave off with some fun little teaser. Edie's cleaning up Mike's house and we're wrapping up the episode. 
And the camera pans up to what Edie doesn't see in his cupboards. Again, what's under the surface that we just aren't seeing. And it reveals cash, a map with red pen markings and highlighted portions on it, a gun, a hand-drawn map of Wisteria Lane with notes on the houses listing who lives there, like the last name and all the residents, a sticky note that says following ASAP. Oof, creepy. It's totally, it's totally that like um, stereotyped, like socio- sociopath, like wall that has a different connected dots between like the areas on the map where you have like rubber bands going to like one photo and then it links to like one area. And then that's also, you know, like he's got it all laid it's out. It's that detective kind of like crazy board yes conspiracy theory board but it's usually like more isn't it usually that it's not just the detective that has it but it's like the actual culprit it could be a serial killer or someone trying to find a serial killer it goes both ways it goes both ways and it is spooky and I love Um, that that's what the episode leaves us off with it makes me kind of sad because I want to like Mike so when I'm watching this, I'm like, no, like he, he could be bad. Like what's wrong with Mike? Why does I he know have this? Ma- that's the reaction. Anytime someone watches it too. It's, and like, they text me, they're like, oh shit. No, Mike is evil. I know. And you're like, wait, I don't want Mike to be so evil. Disappointing. Like, it's so weird because you can hate Susan all you want, but you still want her at the end of the day to end up with Mike. Right. You still want it to work out because the show wants it to work out. <laughs> Exactly. So a little disappointed in Mike. I don't know what's going to happen, but so far. Looking forward to finding out more though. I know. All right. And with that, what a great episode. Any final thoughts? No final thoughts. No Reddit posts this time. We'll, we'll keep looking now. I think we'll start seeing episode five-ish. But yeah. Great episode. All All right. Talk next week on episode three.